irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only on LA Talk Radio. Hello there, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast, All Things Therapy, by listening and subscribing. I'm going to ask you that if you haven't, to please go to iTunes, pull up All Things Therapy, and there'll be an option to rate and review this podcast. That's how it gets in front of more people. And my mission statement for my podcast. My why, as my guest is going to talk more about today, T. Shane Johnson, is discovering what our why is and how that can propel us through life to create the outcomes that we want to experience. So my why is to change consciousness one conversation at a time. And I need you to get on iTunes, rate and review it. It's super easy to do. And I really appreciate that. Additionally, if you're finding yourself having a hard time emotionally, I am available doing all virtual sessions with you anywhere that you reside through phone, Skype, FaceTime, Zoom, and Skype. My website is nolatherapy.com, the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles, therapy.com. Please reach out. I take some unique approaches to healing. I am a certified Reiki practitioner. I'm a certified thought coach, helping you to release negative and fear-based thoughts and replace them with supportive thoughts and affirmations to help you create the life that you want. I also offer an online class teaching 20 psycho-spiritual techniques, practical techniques. That's available at NOLA Therapy. I have a book coming out this year on healing through empathy and self-forgiveness. That's available at NOLA Therapy. So I really encourage you to go to NOLA Therapy. There are links to my social media. Follow me. I have been reading my book to you during quarantine. I have been submitting quotes, putting it out into the world from my book. Just a lot of information to help you heal and become more of who you were meant to be. Okay, my guest is really awesome and powerful. We are going to be with T. Shane Johnson. He's a Marine Corps veteran, a number one best-selling author. He's a world record athlete holder, a motivational speaker, and corporate sales coach. He's been featured in places like Fox Business, Forbes, and USA Today, to just name a few. And every year, he hikes across America, literally running and walking from coast to coast, covering over 3,000 miles on foot in 22-mile intervals, which symbolize the number of U.S., the number of veterans who commit suicide each day. During this journey, T. Shane completes two marathons and one ultra marathon each trip, and he covers 20 cities in across nine states to raise awareness and provide our veterans services and connection to organizations. He hands out hygiene kits to homeless veterans and has helped to raise over $50,000 in nonprofit 
funding. And we're going to talk about his book, Hike Across America, as well as his book, Become the Leader You Were Meant to Be. I think they're really interconnected, where he discusses the art and science of leadership, how we lead others through change by inspiring them. TJ, I just want to welcome you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. How are you today? I am super fantastic and only getting better. I can't complain, that's for sure. I love that. Same here. So do you want to begin with Hike Across America, with Become the Leader You Were Meant to Be? What's important for you today that you feel like starting Oh, with? well, however, however you'd like to go with it. I mean, I think they all kind of intertwine together depending on different stages of life and, and, and you know, where we're at and what we're doing. So however you'd like your audience to uh, or you feel that your audience would gain the most from it, you just let me know. Sure. Well, I know in reading both books, I was struck by where you talk about defining your why and you speak about your daughter, Charlie, as being your why. I wonder if you could talk to us some about that, your process and discovering how important our why is. Absolutely. Um, you know, Simon Sinek did a really good job of, I think, coining that topic, um, really pushing into discovering our why. And I think it's something that we've all really known. But, you know, books kind of get retold, rewritten. Um, you know, movies get remade really to kind of keep us engaged. And obviously the audience, you know, gets older and generations change and thought processes change. And we forget what's important because, you know, life is, it's noisy. Uh, there's a lot coming in all different directions. And especially nowadays, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a, a ding, a bing, a click, uh, you know, uh, always something for some type of a device I have around letting you know, or reminding you, I mean, we really are the definition of Pavlov's dog theory. Mm. Um, you know, there's just always something, you know, being so loud to us all the time. Um, and, and in life, you know, you go through a lot of struggles. Life is built by design to be difficult. And, you know, I guess the pitch or the sell to it all is, is if you have a true rock true why or true reason, um, it allows you to push through that stuff. Um, you know, it's kind of our, our Oreo cookies to our diet, you know, um, our why is something that we try to use as a point of pleasure to uh, help us get through the, uh, the massive amount of pain that we deal with. Um, throughout our everyday, you know, general life. So, you know, for some of us, it, it could be, a, you know, it could be an Oreo cookie, you know, it, it could be a, a partner, it could be a job, it could be a career, it could be, you know, your children. Um, just depends on what is a driving factor for you based on that time of your life, um, what you feel is important. And, um, and you kind of take it from there. You know, for me, I've, I think I've had many different whys, but nothing as powerful as it is to be a father, you know, um, through my daughter. Um, once I've become a father, you know, then I understood a lot of things that I hope that a lot of fathers experience or parents experience for that matter. Um, and, it, you know, I don't want to say it changed my life. I've always followed a, a relatively decent path. I think that it just it 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 shows the true definition of, you know, servant leadership. Um, yeah. You know, I'm 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 a little different in my tactics as far as leadership concerned. I don't think a one size fits all, and I don't think that one style of leadership fits the time uh, of your life or the or or decisions. In some decisions, you have to be a servant leader, and in some decisions, you have to be more of a lead from the front. You know, some decisions you have to sit back and make execution. It's just a different styles, but we try to coin it that one leader should be one way for all things at all times. So, for my daughter, I find myself being a lot more of a servant leadership. You know. Um, appealing to her needs and making sure that everything that, that she wants within reason um, that's good for her, I'm able to provide as a parent and a father. And then and so sometimes I've got to lead from the front to encourage her to overcome her fears. And then sometimes I got to sit back and tell her what to do so that she falls in her face and learns herself. But for me, um, I, you know, becoming, becoming a father to my daughter, 
um, was a, a massive moment in my life. And, and, it, and it, and it makes me work harder to hope that she has a better future. And then if God forbid anything was ever happened to me, that she could hold her head up high knowing that, you know, her father was a, was a good person and, and looked out for her better interests. So, um, that, that's, that's my current and true why I hope for, for quite some time. Well, and T Shane, from reading your, your book, I know that your dad, it sounds like you and your dad are so close and he was really instrumental in your development as you go through hike across America. And for our listeners to know why they should check this book out that you are at camp Pendleton, which I've been to, to surf, I think Santa no free, like right, right behind it. Uh, and mm -hmm. you were a Marine on the job training, first reconnaissance battalion, and in your, I think at 20 years old in 2001, and you were hit on your motorcycle at 45 miles per hour and robbed, left for dead. You actually did flatline and die three times in the helicopter. And you go through this journey in your book about not forgetting your why and tying it back into growing up in the South and that relationship you had with your dad, which was so beautiful. So I wonder if you can kind of share with our listeners what all, when your life changed and kind of what came to the forefront at 20. Um, well, I think, I think, um, what, well, that's a good question. I think it, you know, for the sake of the audience, I'll answer it this way. You know, I grew up in, as as an as an, the oldest child taking on a substantial amount of responsibility. You know, my father didn't have a lot of money. He was a single father, you know, raising, you know, the, the three of us. And my, and my younger brother um, was mentally handicapped and, and blind and very difficult and challenging. And we lived, you know, probably 15 minutes from town. And we lived in a small town called Arcadia. Traditionally, that's kind of the pin on the map. But we were in an even smaller town called Gardner. And uh, there might have been five, five homes within that town. So, um, you know, it was it was. It was, you know, like you see on the movies, in the middle of nowhere, it really, really truly was. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a challenging position to be in, as, as many people in the rural areas have, have been through. It's not a story that hasn't been told before, but um, it was just, you know, at that time being the oldest, like, you know, most most of the children in that position, they have a responsibility to support and take care of. Um, and, you know, you, you grow up a little faster and you learn to take care of people a little more. So for me, the military was an escape away from that because, mm. you know, you are in, when you're in that position, you are robbed of your childhood quite a bit because you don't get the freedoms of being able to do the things that, that normally most kids would like to enjoy. You're, you're, you're working, you're making money, you know, you've got a job, you're helping to support um, finances, you know, and, and making sure that the home stays afloat. So the Marine Corps was more of a, an out than it really was um you know, this, I'm, I'm, I'm good where I'm at and I'm going to go and it's going to go change my life. I mean, the Marine Corps was easy for me compared to, you know, what my home life was like. So, um, what, I don't want to say it really changed my life. I think maybe from a perspective of going through that motorcycle accident, uh, it really allowed me an advantage above most of society. Mm. Um, when you have, when you've shared the limit of death multiple times and you've seen the other side and there is sense of such a sense of comfort there, I think it allows you to take more risk. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of, you know, I, I, my daughter's a reference if, she, if she's doing gymnastics and she knows that she's going to do a flip and there's a tremendous amount of soft, you know, little stuffies underneath her that are going to catch her. She'll take more of a risk to make that, you know, to do that flip or that jump. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, God, and God, i.e., in the definition of, of, of a higher power, so whatever you'd like to call it, yeah. not necessarily based on a type of religion, but a higher power that, that, that gives us a sense of security or understanding you know, for our small brains to think that there is an afterlife. 
in some capacity of another. Um, when you're able to connect and know that that is there, I think it gives you a far more advantage over than the normal person because I can take risks, I can do things, I can be more knowing that even if I fail, worst case scenario is I'm still going to end up uh, in a positive side. So I think it allows you to take a little bit more of a risk. So that situation, I wouldn't say changed my life and how I thought differently. I just think it actually gave me a, a far more competitive edge over most to do things more and take more risks and to be more, or, or maybe, maybe in an enlightening way to say it would be, it allows me to wake up and look at every leaf on a tree as if it's the greenest of greens. Um, as if the air is just as crisp as, you know, it, I felt it for the first time. And I think children are the perfection of an explanation of that. My daughter, when she smiles, is the perfection of, of life. When she's happy, when she's giving, she's having a good time. You know, all of those things, um, I think you look at from a different lens than the traditional just kind of walk through life as a zombie and, and maybe have a few moments in your life where you you you, uh, you get to enjoy certain little things. Um, so maybe, maybe that might be a better way to explain it. No, I, I like so much about what you're saying right now, T-Shane, and it reminds me of the principles in your book, Hike Across America, that you talk about, for instance, um, in the chapter about refilling your personal pitcher, which I think of as our self-care, and you talk about that piece, how children look to you as as God, that you're there, you know, you're God to them. And I thought that was so beautifully said because I do believe as well in a spiritual foundation of living, however one would define it. I take a lot of peace and comfort as well in knowing it's not just me out here alone trying to hustle and make things happen. And I know I consciously meditate and pray daily to feel that connection. So I like the way that you bring out these really significant principles as well about trusting people, overcoming your alligator, overcoming your fear, a story that you share about having to like go out into the basic kind of swamp and and get this big old freaking alligator um, that could kill the cows that y'all were raising. You know, you really do well to weave in stories of your upbringing with principles to live from. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, well, you know, growing up in the country, there's a lot of, you know, it's funny, you know, when I was younger, I'd never in a million years where I've told those stories, you know, you're, <laughs> you're sometimes embarrassed about it. But, um, you know, as you get older and you've, you've traveled the world and you've, you've had different relationships and different perspectives of things, you start to realize that it is, it's a piece of you. And it has so, so many great lessons to it, you know, and, and, the, and the, stories, the stories are funny and unique looking back on because they are true. They're very, very true. Um, you know, which makes the, the book, it's a small book, but it's a fun read because it does have, you know, I, and I left a lot out. I should probably rewrite it and fill in a lot more <laughs> stuff, but there's, there, there's so many different stories. Um, but it is, it, it is very relatable. I've used, you know, later on in my life, um, that story about the alligator is a very, is a great one because one, it was extremely true. And at the same time, I've, I've been faced to have to challenge myself to overcome that alligator many times. And when I go back to that moment of, of making that decision, um, you know, it allows me to, to, to push forward. So yeah, but very true stories, believe it or not. Yeah. And I also want to highlight just what, what hike across America is about the deeper truth and message about raising awareness around homeless veterans and how important that population is. And that daily 22 veterans do take their lives through suicide. Can you talk to us about touching those people across America as you've traveled and kind of what their needs are and just how maybe we have more consciousness around them since they fought for our freedom. Uh, 
I can. Yes, ma'am. And, and I'll tell you, you know, um, when I originally started that, that platform, it had a completely different, um, direction. You know, when I, when I first started it, it was really out of a sense of uh, confusion of, you know, why, why, are, why is this problem so big? Why are there so many issues? Why do we not attack it from the front? You know, what, what's going on? It doesn't make any sense. And I'd shared that because my personal experience wasn't the same. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a difficulty transitioning out of the military, you know, the military, I actually kind of had the flip side thought process. The military taught me to overcome all types of different, mm. you know, adversities in life. So to, to get out in the civilian world and put on a tie and go out and interview for a job, you know, didn't stress me out. Um, I wasn't like, Oh man, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I just, I did exactly what the military told me to do, which is improvise, adapt, overcome and go out and just get a freaking job. You got bills to pay. So, um, it was just a different thought process. And when I went into it, yes, it was the relevance of the veteran suicide. Um, you know, so many veterans committing suicide and why, and why is there more in the civilian world than there is, you know, when you're in the military, why is that number different? It's the same person, same things. You know, what, what is it about getting into the civilian world that, that makes it so much different? The homeless side, why are there so many homeless veterans? Um, and that's, and that's kind of, you know, part of the hike. I mean, you know, it, it it was really just kind of digging in, raising awareness. And then as we started to interview a lot of veterans, we started to interview a lot of organizations. Um, we went through different cities, different states, different audiences, you know, from, from different, you know, um, political backgrounds to different views, whether some were doing it because they were trying to get some incentive off of it, um, you know, from both sides, whether it was the corporation or the veteran, um, you know, and it was just a, it was an interesting mix. And then, you know, that, that hike started to cultivate and grow into something way different. Mm. And, and the end result to sort of look at it is I was projecting the leadership and the responsibility back onto the veteran community saying, wait a minute, we are supposed to be the pillars of, you know, or what we call the tip of the spear of the United States. How is it that we're getting out into the real world and we're perceived as almost a weaker class? Yeah. When we're supposed to be the, we're supposed to be the leaders. We're supposed to be the ones going to the civilian population saying, not only did we protect you, you know, through wearing a uniform, but now that we're out, we're going to do it by developing a great business. We're going to be supporting the community. We're going to become pillars of the community. And now it's just kind of like everything. When someone thinks of a veteran, they say it quietly, almost of this classification of a weak mindset, when in fact we're the tried and true that's supposed to push forward. So rather than kind of cultivating that side, I went to the source and said, we need to develop stronger leadership. And I yes. started involving myself more into the actual military. You know, my, my last hike I just completed this past, you know, November for 1600 miles. I carried 100 pounds every day, 22 miles a day for 1600 miles as wow. a representation of the burden of leadership. And that's when I, I set the world record, um, you know, after already completing like 600 miles doing that. And then the Navy, Marine Corps and Army um, had me come in and, and I believe some of the Air Force had me come in and speak on leadership to a lot of the units and the squadrons and battalions and talk about it. And one of the things I saw more than anything was that the leaders that were there were just so scared to make decisions in fear of what people may think of them. You know, uh, social media now has just conjured up this this tremendous amount of fear for anyone if they make a mistake in this mm. country that they're just crucified, um, which is going to make your political leaders become weaker because the people that generally probably would be great leaders are scared to become a leader because the general public would crucify them for one mistake when in fact that's that's as God would say, per se, is we're, we're built to make mistakes. That's how we learn. Um, 
But now everything's got to be perfect, right? Your five star, if you got to review, it better be five stars. If you're going to run for office, you better be perfect and impeccable to support the community and society of people who are perfectly imperfect. Um, you know, so it, it, it evolved into something way bigger, way different. And then I realized there was a massive amount of, you know, leadership. And then what happened is the leadership started to become specific segments. So if you were a military leader, you had to be this type of leader. And if you were, you know, a civilian leader, you had to be this type of leader. And I thought, you know, it's funny, the way that I lead my daughter is not the same that I would lead a bunch of Marines. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, would lead, I would lead my daughter in a servant leadership style. You know, I would serve her, encourage her, build her up. You know, in the Marine Corps, I would say, I'm running, we're running, we're all running because we're a team. You know, I wouldn't make my five-year-old daughter run 1,600 miles with me. It's a different type, different style of leadership. So um, it really it started to transition and change and evolve more. And then I realized that, um, you know, we need, uh, as fathers, we need to bring back, you know, more dads. I mean, dads just seem to, I don't know what's going on, but they seem to just be skating life by. And you've yeah. got so many moms raising these children and these dads are just not, they're not standing up making decisions, they're not becoming strong. They're not making good decisions for their daughters. And if you listen, I don't reference being a, a you know a, um, sons because I, I don't have one, and I don't act like a mom because I'm not one. I only speak in the reference to you know being a father and my daughter and what I can relate to. Um, and yeah, I mean, sorry, that was long winded, but that, that's, that's kind of so how the good. five years of has evolved and turned into what what is now um, a mission to really try to uh, help people understand you know that leadership is not a one size fits all or a one situation fits all. Well, one of the questions I had to ask you about leadership that I wrote down was, what does it mean to lead from behind and put others up front? That was something I took away from your book to ask you. So there's different styles of leadership. Um, as I've mentioned a couple of times in our conversation, you know, sometimes you've got to let people fall on their face. You know, I, you know, okay, I yeah. we, again, when you become a, when you become a parent, you, you learn that so much because when you become a parent for the first time, you're white knuckled to everything. You know, um, you're, you're, you're making sure that your child doesn't, any little thing they put in their mouth or they move, especially in the first one, you know, it's just, you're, you're, you're chaos. You're, you're, you're just a hot mess all the time. So, but eventually, you know, that if you don't allow your child to fall, you know, multiple times to learn, they'll never learn and they'll become dependent on you. Mm -hmm. And that's a very selfish position. That's yeah. not a selfless position. You know, um, and so in leadership, a lot of times, sometimes you have to be able to put people out there and let them fail because that's ultimately how they're going to learn. Um, you know, I always ask my daughter every day, well, what did you fail at today? You know, versus what did you do great? What did you fail at today? That means you tried something, you failed at it, let's do it again. Let's do it again. You know, a successful business owner, when I interview someone, how, how many times have you failed in life? I don't want to hear how great you've done because you're going to tell me that one time you, you, you got that touchdown or you broke that record or you did something. Let's hear about all your failures. Um, let's talk about what you learn. Trying and and then evaluating what the outcome was. Would you agree? Like resilience, I think, is such an important faculty to develop in living life and and being able to to stay on top of things and keep evolving and growing and changing. Well, absolutely. I mean, look, I have this saying I say in a lot of a lot of my speeches is we purchase pleasure for our inability to endure pain. You know, mm. corporations make tons of tons of money off of our inability to endure pain because everything that is painful, we run from, Hey, eat the salad. No, I don't want to do that. I'd rather have the donut. Oh, well, a company's going to make a bunch of money on making sure you get lipo or take a pill or do whatever, because you won't deal with the pain. 
You know, no one, no one in this world today you know, wants to deal or address pain. And those that are willing to adapt that life is 99% pain. I mean, it really is. I mean, you know, your success levels are not always going to be on highs. You're going to have a lot bigger lows when you're building a business or you're building life or in a relationship or with your children than you are your highs. That's the whole point of appreciating, you know, uh, the sweet, you know, of life. Um, if it was like that all the time, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't appreciate it as much. Um, so resilience, yeah, is absolutely a key component to, to life and building character and all the things that you do. You just have to remember, you know, I, I mean, it's built by design. Just address it, accept it, and know that it's not a bad thing to feel pain. And a lot of times it's a definition of growth and encouragement um, to know that you're doing the right thing. I mean, look, no one goes to the gym and works out to not be sore. Right. You know, I mean, it, you, know, you want to walk away and go, oh, my gosh, I felt like I did something. Like, man, my legs feel great today. You know, it, it, it's a perfect definition of, hey, you had to tear that muscle apart in order for it to grow back out again. No, it's a great it's a great analogy. If you're not sore, I'd I'd wonder what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and <laughs> right. and in, in that chapter where you reference that, like how muscles grow by tearing them down and they build up, you talk about your mind as your best asset or greatest weapon. That's a quote that you put in there. And to use the gift of your mind in adversity. Um, so I hear you talking to those kind of things to lean into the pain. I think pain is information for us. We can ask, what is there here for me to learn when we're feeling it? Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. I think I made a reference to John Rambo on that quote. I, yes. I, I, you know, I love, I love the reference in that movie because it is such a key, key part to that movie when he talks about the definition of, of understanding war and success, you know, when the mind is truly the key behind it, you know, we don't understand that machines and all the things that we do are built by man. So, you know, it, 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 data, you know, especially machines only output what you input, you know, until I guess assume AI technology starts to formulate its own, own brain. But, um, you know, to the general public, we're not there yet, but I mean, it, it, it is, your mind is just this massive computer that we, we don't use. And again, because it may be painful and, and we avoid it. So, um, yeah, all things that I think people generally know and, and experience through reading any type of personal development books or watching a movie or doing all those things. Um, again, it goes back to your why, right? So having enough yeah. encouragement and strength in your, pur your purpose to, to endure all of that stuff. T. Shane, I'm going to do a quick uh, word out to my sponsor, and then I'll be right back with you in about a minute. For the listeners here of All Things Therapy, Audible is my sponsor, and I, in fact, downloaded Hike Across America, T. Shane Johnson's book, to listen to it. And if you're not already subscribed to Audible, simply go to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy, and they will give you a free month subscription. You get one free audiobook, and then it renews they start charging you in the second month. So try it out, extend your membership, or just cancel it and take the free book. Uh, check it out. I, that's how I listen to T. Shane's book. He narrates Hike Across America. You really get a vibe for him and, and his experience. I really love authors reading their own audiobooks. So check out audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy. And if you're listening and want to follow along online, you can find T. Shane on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T. Shane Johnson. And his website is tshaneinspires.com. This will be in the show notes. And T. Shane, another question I had for you uh, in reading your leadership 
book, you talk about, okay, what are the three financial considerations to get right so that money is no longer an issue? That really stood out to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I wrote that book, I was trying to formulate something a little bit more structured than High Cross America. As you can see that there are two totally different personality yeah. types when it comes to, to the writing styles. Um, you know, I would say High Cross America is a little bit more of my, my style. The, the, the leadership book was a little more, I would, a better way to say it's a little more corporate structured for, for the general public to, to, to read. Um, so I think, you know, for the sake of this conversation, I'd like to kind of keep it, you know, in my own format. Um, yeah, you know, from, from a financial standpoint, from a financial standpoint, leadership. Look, you know, I, I just built a company uh, recently that I'm that I'm working with from the ground up in the course of of oh, 120 days that's produced almost 100 million dollars in sales from scratch. And awesome. uh, um, you know, I did an interview where someone's asking me about you know financial stability and what you do and everything else, and I I, I tried to answer the question. And I just, I was having difficulty for someone like me, which is hugely hard to answer the question from the sense of how the success and the financial side of it and everything. And I said, you know, I don't ever really think of it like that. I, I don't know if, I don't know if, you know, I'm sure most of your audience is, probably has children or would like to have children. And I don't look at things as uh, financial one, two, three. The way that I truly look at it is that my daughter, when I look her in the face, my family, when I walk in the door, I understand that they must have things that are better than what I had. And what I mean by that is not necessarily, you know, toys or, or gifts or anything like that, but to know that there's a sense of security to life, um, mm. that they can feel encouraged and inspired. So I go to work each day, not necessarily with a, a breakdown of what I'm going to make and how I'm going to make. I just know that I've got to do it as quickly and as fast as possible so that I don't have to spend the rest of my life working every day. So I have this little saying I say to my staff, we work five years like nobody wants to live the rest of your life like nobody can. Oh, and, I love um, that. And when you, when you have that time, you want to, because when you get older, you know, you're making money to buy more time, you know? So um, for me, it's a short time gap to accomplish a goal to make sure that I can spend all this time with my daughter so she doesn't grow up to, to, um, to run into what I found with a lot of the homeless on the streets, you know, uh, the lack of parents around and do things. So, I used to be able to, if you'd asked me in my 20s, I'd probably answer that question exactly like the book read. Um, but for me um, now, it's just it's just time. I am racing the clock as quickly and as fast as possible to do what I need to do to make sure that uh, I don't have to work another day in my life and my daughter and I can spend all the time that we need to. And I can um, make sure that I bury a bury enough bodies of boys in the back in the backyard for her so she never, never dates until she's <laughs> Okay, that's great. You know, I, I feel I feel similarly. I just feel this relentless drive. In the last few years, I have my book coming out. I've done this podcast for years. Just the ideas to really, and I never conceptualized it. And you said work for five years so you can, you know, do what others can't. Like I feel that similar drive to just get it. Just right now, where the energy, where I'm younger, I can do this. And I tell myself every day, I am success. I encourage my clients and friends to do the same, have a mantra that you, that you say every day to really connect with and attach to. Do you have any mantras or kind of affirmations that you really like and use in your life? You know, I don't, I'm, I wish I could be as a candidate as a speaker um, to do that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, when we sell a product to the corporate world, we have to have some type of format to it because, you know, that's just how people think they need to receive information. I, I look, I, I don't know. I mean, 
again, if you'd asked me this question in my twenties, I had money. I just need to make okay. money. I need to hustle, make money. You know, now it, it's, what do I do to, you know, my, my daughter, you know, she's just getting ready to start school this year. So she's been with me all the time. She comes to work with me every day. I mean, we do oh, everything together. Oh, we ride together sweet. as a family. That's We're sweet. together 24-7. Like, she's in here. She'll help me with work. She makes little copies of her little pictures. She does things. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I make her sweep the floors. We, we, we do stuff together. You know, we, um, it, 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 it's important to me. So I don't necessarily at this time in my life have a mantra. I just, I got a beautiful little face that looks at me with a big giant smile and says, Daddy, I love you. And I think that's really all I need. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is the answer. So, TJ, you also, I saw in reading about you that you were homeless at one time. Can you talk to us about that and how you overcame homelessness? <laughs> yeah, um, that was just you know, the timing meets uh, industry meets recession. Um, you know, like in anything else, when you're when you're young and you make a lot of money, and I was very fortunate to make seven figures at, at 23 years old and be around you know some great people and uh, like anything else, new money, when you get it, you spend it too. And people come out of the woodworks. Everybody's got an idea or a bill or a loan or, um, you know, something. Uh, that, and when you're the type of person that takes your personal picture and pours it out to everybody else's cup, you know, um, that can uh, be yeah. relatively taxing. Yeah. You know, so uh, I, I, w- I went through that experience. And, and then, of course, 2008, I owned a mortgage company. I was 20, 28 years old at the time. Um, I had had two years into the company, which was doing exceptionally well. And then it was just a weird time in our industry. The the business just dissipated. I mean, it just wasn't there. I mean, it's not like you could work harder. It just didn't exist overnight. Um, so, you know, like anything else, when you're toting bills and expenses and employees and, and you don't have the right capital saved or have a cushion, like I'm sure a lot of people during that time had, you just lose your butt. And it got to the point to where it was so bad that uh, I lost everything. And I ended up homeless. And, and I, you know, I was pretty hard on myself. You know, I, yeah. I mean, think about it. You're, you're a young person. You're making substantial amount of money. You think it's never going to end. You haven't learned life's uh, wonderful lessons of failure too much just yet. Um, you know, you're, you're out there, you know, as we say, breaking necks and cashing checks, you're, you're <laughs> doing what you got to do. And, and, it, and I, and I fell flat on my face and you know, all the people that were around me were gone. Nobody, you know, if I wasn't giving them money, they didn't exist. Mm. And it becomes very lonely. It's as equally lonely at the bottom as it is at the top, you know? Mm. Um, so I went through that and, uh, I don't know, I probably beat myself up a little bit. And then in the financial sector, you know, my credit got shot and a lot of things happened. It was hard to get back into that business. And, uh, I had to start all over and yeah, I ended up uh, homeless. You know, I lost everything. Well, how was I going to get an apartment with bad credit and, and not two months reserves? And, you know, affordable housing is, is difficult. So there was a lot of challenges. And then uh, somebody hit my car and I lost my car and I walked everywhere. And and then you just have what I, what we say in the South. You know, one day you just have that come to Jesus. And yes, I know. Jesus kicked in and, you know, and it was enough. Enough was enough. And um, I just kind of said it you know, went back to the basics. I didn't have any money. I didn't have TV. I didn't have the luxuries of life to to stop you from working. And I said, well, I got nothing but time. That's a great thing about being homeless. You got a lot of time. So I started working on, um, you know, developing my businesses. And then about two years of going through all of those ups and downs, I built a uh, 40 million, well, three companies did over 40 million a year out, out of a Dunkin' Donuts. It's free Wi-Fi. You become Amazing. very um, resourceful, very resourceful. You, 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 you take for granted the stuff around you that you can build a business with um, and not have anything. And uh, yeah, and and then the rest is history. Was that when you started personal training people in your apartment complex? Am I remembering correctly? <laughs> right after yeah, that accident. That was, uh, 
that's funny. I probably should reread my book again. I haven't read that in a while. Um, it's, it, that is, yeah. So, so I, uh, I, you know, I, I'm an idea person. Um, and, but I take massive action. Um, I'm always the type of person, my fiance always makes fun of me. She goes, you know, the difference between me and you is when you talk about an idea, I go into your office and three o'clock in the morning, you're already implementing it. You know, it's like, oh, what website? And it's built in two hours. She's like, you just, for some reason, have the ability to be able to just do that so fast. Um, and I just, you know, I, I don't know why. When I think of something, I do it right then. I don't wait. I don't go, well, what if? I don't question it. I just take massive action uh, right then to do it. So, yeah, I needed money. You know, my sister was, um, my sister was strung out on, on, on drugs and meth and prostitution. And she left me with my nephew who was, you know, uh, had a disease and was sick in the house and I, I, you know, in our apartment, I had to make money and have a choice at that time. So I, uh, developed an idea that uh, I still don't know why it hasn't kicked in very well, but, um, personal training on site to apartment complexes Yes. and, uh, with their local, local gym. And I went to the gym place and I sold it. You know, I was great at sales. I sold it. They thought it was a great idea. And I started training, you know, like a bridal boot camp. And next thing you know, I had quite the little following. And yeah, I was, I was starting to put together a decent little amount of money to live. It worked. Talk about being innovative, improvising, adapting, and overcoming, T-Shane. That's awesome. Yeah, well, that's, that's the Marine Corps way. Improvise, adapt, and overcome. What so? What's kind of next for you? I know we're coming to the end of our time. What is on your radar? What anything new that I haven't that I wasn't able to find through researching you? I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I've been a little under the radar lately uh, since our across America last world because yeah. my my current company is is growing substantially fast. So I've been kind of behind the scenes um, doing my thing with that and building there. Uh, this year's physical goal, I just partnered with uh, Future Fit. It's a startup out in San Diego. Um, they do uh, high-level personal training for uh, C-suite executives. And I want to say other people, um, you know, depending on what their fitness goals are, I don't want to speak on behalf of it, but I'm, I just signed an agreement as a brand ambassador for them. We're working on, uh, which would be my second world record this year, uh, which would be the most push-ups within a 12-hour time period of over 19,324, which I'll be doing on Veterans Day. 19,000 so, um, push-ups? 19, you got it. Over 19,324 push-ups in 12 hours, and the record has not been broken since 1989 by the world's fittest man. Oh, my God. That's effing amazing. This is exciting. <laughs> so you're going to take it on. Yeah. So we've been training for quite some time. Uh, train, I do almost 900 to 1,000 push-ups with our Future Fit trainer. Um, every single day, they have custom fit workout programs that we do. Um, to start kind of putting together and we're still in the infancy stages of, of kind of the plans for, you know, we're, we're looking for sponsors and we're looking for people that want to, uh, you know, an event place to do, of course, COVID, you know, caused a lot of delays and a lot of this type of stuff. Um, but we're, we're really trying to formulate a, a good concept. And then of course, like every year, you know, raising funds to support a good cause. So, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to smash that record and, uh, hopefully raise some money for some, for some good people. That's awesome. Congratulations on all of your success. Past, present, and future. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. (laughs) And I'm going to reach out to you to connect with, I was mentioning before we came online, that I have a U.S. patent and nonprofit to help people in wheelchairs learn to blow glass as an art, like as a healing, self-care modality. And I was working with Wounded Warriors the Houston-based office, it's the closest one to New Orleans, to um, to get some wounded warriors in to try out my bench and learn glass blowing to just for personal happiness and fulfillment. So I'll reach out to you to see if I can hook up with some of the, the people you might know down south. 
who want to participate. Absolutely. Sure, I can help. I appreciate that. T. Shane, thank you for your time and your energy. And I just appreciate having this conversation. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to share my message to your audience. You're welcome. I hope you and your daughter have an awesome day. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. That concludes my show today with T. Shane Johnson. You can learn more about everything he is doing at tshaneinspires.com. I hope that y'all are having a great day. Happy Thursday. I am in California for just a few more weeks before heading back down south to New Orleans and looking forward to being being down at that home that I love so much and uh, just wishing y'all a great day and all my love. Bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only.